Thank you, band. Weren't the band amazing this morning? Can we just show our love? Uh, great worship. Um, it's great to be here. As uh, they said, my name's Adam, Adam Bird. I'm married to that gorgeous lady who was here. Through not the, not the, the gorgeous lady, I guess. Gonna, maybe not. No. Hey. Gonna get in trouble. Gonna move on. Um, marriage course. I should probably talk about the marriage course right now. Uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate that uh, Fru and Lou said, book into the marriage course. Whether you've been married for three years, for 13 years, for 30 years, for 130 years, guys, we've got a way to go. We've all got a way to go in our marriages. And, and I remember doing our marriage course. I did my marriage course with my wife, obviously, Fru, um, a, a number of years ago. And there are some great strategies on there that I would say I've probably saved our marriage a number of times. Um, because uh, I don't know about you, and I'm going to speak to the men particularly now, we can let our pride get in the way of a great marriage. So if you're a guy and you're there thinking, oh, I, don't need, I don't need to go on a course. Uh, I told my wife I loved her 25 years ago when we got married. And if anything changes, I'll let her know. Okay, don't let your pride get in the way of what could be an amazing future for you and your wife. Pride cometh, I don't know, I'm going all King James now. Pride cometh before a fall. Okay, actually it's a scripture and it says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Maybe you've experienced that for yourself. Maybe you've experienced sometime when you've been proud, you've done something really great, and it's followed swiftly by uh, you falling flat on your face. And I'll tell you a little story about me. When I was younger, uh, I, I was a bit prideful. I was a bit of a, a precocious brat, actually, when I, was, when I was younger. And I remember a time when I was nine years old, sitting in, in a school assembly, and the, head, the headmaster went to the front, and he said, raise your hand if you would like to learn a musical instrument. And I immediately shot my hand up. Yeah, I want to learn a musical instrument. Yes, please. The next day, they gave me a cornet. Wow. Okay, a cornet. And maybe you don't know what a cornet is. I'm not talking about the ice cream, okay? Yeah. A cornet is like a trumpet, but it's kind of squashed. It's flat, fatter and fatter and shorter. But it plays a bit like a trumpet. But it's just not as cool as a trumpet. <laughs> you see? You, maybe you didn't know that the trumpet was cool, but it is. Trust me on this. <laughs> the trumpet is used for pop and it's used for jazz and swing, all the cool things. Uh, <laughs> a cornet is used for, for colliery bands and German umpire bands. Okay, so really not cool at all. But they gave me a cornet and I took it home and I blew it. I practiced it as hard as I could. I practiced a lot, mostly thanks to the encouragement of my mom. My mom could be very encouraging <laughs> when it came to music practice, right, Dom? Yeah, big time. Big time, big time very encouraging. Um, and so I practiced and I got pretty good. I got pretty good with my cornet. And uh, eventually, <laughs> I went through my grades. And eventually I was asked to join the local German umpire band. No, not really. <laughs> there was no German umpire bands in the West Midlands. But I was asked to join the local uh, youth orchestra, the local youth wind band, the local youth brass band, and even the local secondary school asked me to come and play cornet for them, even though I was still in primary school. They asked me to come and play for them. So I'm feeling all kind of proud of myself. I took my cornet uh, along to big school on that day. And, 
Um, actually, it was quite cool by then. My parents had brought me a new cornet, which was two-tone. It was brass and copper. And it's about as cool as you're going to get with a cornet. Okay? Um, so I arrived at the big school, and, and the music teacher asked me to sit at the head of the trumpet section like the principal trumpeter who gets all the good parts. And these other guys on the, on the kind of same desk as me, they were all three, four, five, six years older than I was. They were just looking at me, and I was kind of doing my bit with the, with the cornet, looking all cool, not um, <laughs> looking all great, look how good I am. And I was giving them sage advice on how to reach the high notes and how to play how to play the tricky passages better. And they were looking at me like I was some freak of nature. Um, but I, it was great, but it definitely made me prideful and arrogant in myself. And I remember at one stage, the uh, county, the West Midlands, was organising a, a music competition, kind of a musician competition for, for young people. And uh, there were various categories for different ages and different instruments. And I took my trumpet along, and I, my cornet, sorry. And I knew that for my age, I was going to win. Okay, I had no doubt I was going to win the trophy. I was going to win the prize for the best trumpet player, cornet player for my age. And there was also this category for overall best musician as well. And I was pretty confident about that too. And I let everybody know that I was going to win this thing. And <laughs> you can see where this is heading, right? You can see where this is. I had little doubt. I'd seen the other kids play. And I could do things with my cornet that would make your eyes water. Okay? <laughs> This was my thing. And so I walked into the competition venue and there was this kind of big cacophony of noise everywhere, the people tuning up, people warming up. And I, um, I walked into this theatre-style room. There was a stage down there and the judges were on the stage. And I sat there and I watched the other uh, musicians play their pieces. And I'm sat there thinking, yes. I've got this. And I had a secret weapon, you see. Um, I'd been learning this cornet piece called Alpine Echoes. Okay, let me tell you about Alpine Echoes. Alpine Echoes is a, is a bit of a technical whiz piece. You only play if you're really good. It's full of technical things like double-tonguing, and triple-tonguing. Don't ask, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but you had to be... <laughs> You had to be good to play this piece. And I was going to play this. I had played it with my music teacher, Mr. Reed, who would accompany me on the piano. He was great. And when we played together, we sounded great. So I'm watching all these competitors playing all their terrible pieces, and I'm thinking, Alpine Echoes, I've got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So I was called up onto the stage to play my piece. And I suddenly looked around and realised, actually, I hadn't seen Mr. Reed, my piano teacher, anywhere. And so I'm like, Mr. Reed, is Mr. Reed here? I walked up to the judge's desk, is Mr. Reed here today? And literally they said, uh, no, he's been called away on a family emergency, but don't worry, just play your piece without the piano accompaniment. And oh, my heart sank. You see, this piece, Alpine Echoes, the cornet and the piano, they kind of work together. And the piano would play kind of a, this great passage, and then the cornet would be the echo, you know, Alpine Echoes. Dun, 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 dun. But there would be these... And I was thinking, okay, how is this going to work? 
And then I realized, actually, there's all these gaps where the piano was supposed to be playing, and I'm just going to stand here doing nothing, counting the bar's rest. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, 17, two, three, four, 18, two, three. And I'm standing there like a numpty, counting these bar's rest, and, and my, my lips start to harden up, and my mouth becomes dry, and my hands start to shake. And I think, I'm not going to be able to play this. And I lift up my cornet to play the first note. And it comes out like this horrible, horrible sound. And I just couldn't play the piece. And I just broke down. It was dreadful. It was... Oh, yeah. I... So I didn't win the trophy for the best overall musician. I didn't even win the trophy for my age category. I think I took home a little badge for taking part. And I was, it was, it was a, a hard lesson. <laughs> yeah. It was a hard lesson in humility for a 10-year-old prideful boy. Now, there's a lot of teaching in the Bible about pride and humility. But there's this one verse right at the beginning of Isaiah that really speaks to me in this moment. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, uh, says this. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted. He's got a day in store, <laughs> and that day came for me <laughs> then. Okay, and I love it. This is in brackets, just in case you don't understand what that day in store looks like. He says, and they will be humbled. They will be humbled. Those who come, proud. We're going to come back to that story in just a moment. This is the third week in our series looking at uh, Holy Joe. Holy Joe. And if you've missed the last two weeks, uh, Dom was the first week and um, Phil was the second week. If you've, missed, if you've missed those, maybe you're a little bit confused about uh, kind of who is Holy Joe. Is he somebody in the Bible? Is he one of the new um, kind of uh, placement students? Is he, is he a new guy and member of staff? Actually, Holy Joe... It's me. Holy Joe is, is you. It's us. But it's us as God has made us to be, as he has called us to be. It's the kind of the best version of ourselves. Now, Dom spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about how that word holy, in essence, means kind of set apart. It means different. It means to be different. So the whole purpose of this series is really to challenge us and encourage us, to inspire us and equip us to cut a new path for our future by understanding the call in our lives to think, live and speak differently. That's what it means to be Holy Joe. And it also, maybe you're somebody who's watching this who's never made a step to trust Jesus with all your heart. It's a call for you to take that step as well, to do that too. Now, it is possible to have a slightly skewed view on what it means to be holy. Okay, we can, we can kind of have, have a wrong or a kind of a false impression of what it means to be holy. It's easy for us to think that we, we become holy by pursuing it, by simply making a bigger effort, by trying harder, by being good, by uh, doing things in our own strength. Uh, but that way, pursuing holiness like that leaves us burdened, it leaves us burnt out. It, it's, it's an impossible task, and it's an impossible demand of holiness when we look at it like that. Now, Phil did an excellent job last week of uh, teaching us of, uh, about combating this mindset 
by looking at the power of grace, by seeing how actually when we pursue grace, it's grace that encourages us and equips us uh, to be holy. So that's one extreme. The second extreme that we can come to when we, try, when we think about holiness is to uh, think that grace removes any requirement of our holiness. Okay, well, that's another false, false thing. We can think that actually because God's grace is, is in me, I don't need to worry about pursuing holiness or, or being holy. There's no requirement there. I remember sitting in a church service a number of years ago at a previous church, and the guest speaker came, and he was speaking about grace, which is, which is wonderful. But then he said this one sentence. He, he said, literally said, um, I have decided I am never going to preach about repentance or holiness again. I'm only going to preach about grace. And I've sat there thinking, well, actually, that's not a biblical perspective of, of grace, really. Um, any perspective of grace that precludes, that gets rid of holiness is not the, the grace that you find in the Bible. And by the way, it's really important to understand also that holiness is not this terrible burden that God's grace does away with. Okay, It's not a terrible burden. Actually, holiness brings blessing. Uh, God's holiness isn't a burden that ties us down. It's a blessing that brings freedom to us when we pursue it in the right way. I want to say, without holiness, the life of a believer is incomplete. Holiness, it completes us. It makes us whole. So the title of my message today is, Holy Joe is Holy Joe. Holy Joe is somebody who is complete. Holiness completes that person. So right at the beginning of this series, two weeks ago, Dom used a well-known passage from the book of Isaiah uh, when Isaiah receives his call as a prophet. We find it in Isaiah 6. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to it. I'm going to have the passage on the screen. I'm going to look at it uh, just briefly. And if you want a little bit more context, then again, I encourage you to go back to two weeks ago when Dom really set this series up. Um, If you've missed it, you can go to our website, sunnyhill.church. You'll find all the previous messages on there on video or on audio format. Um, So, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through to 5. Let's just look at this quickly. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So Isaiah, in this moment, he has a revelation, he has a vision of God's temple and God's holiness within the temple. Now we don't really know what Isaiah was like before this moment, we don't know what he was like as a person. We know he was a prophet. Um, he, um, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and some of those Old Testament prophets were kind of weird in a way. They, they looked different. They spoke different. They lived differently. They, uh, they often did strange things like uh, cutting off their beard with a sword or burying their underwear or cooking their food over human poo. I don't know. Like Richard. <laughs> like Richard, Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, uh, they were essentially the voice of God. They heard the voice from God, and they would deliver the message to the people. 
Now you'd be, uh, you'd be understanding if, if you were a person in that position with that title of prophet, with that ability, if maybe you became a little prideful in your position. And we know quite often the Old Testament heroes, they went through moments where they took their eyes off God and they forgot to trust and, and maybe became prideful in, in their ability. Now, I don't know if whether Isaiah was like that, where he, whether he had any pride in his ability or position, and whether in that earlier verse that I spoke in Isaiah 2, where it says the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, whether he was speaking from experience. But I do know that in this moment, everything changed for him. Everything changed for him. Because he says this, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. I am undone. And in this moment before the great and awesome holiness of God, Isaiah looks at himself and has this revelation. He says, I'm undone. I'm done for. I'm ruined, it says in some translations. I'm doomed. And that word undone, I love, it means, it means unraveled. It means I am disintegrated. I'm coming apart. Woe is me. I have no integrity. And I'm sure that most of you know that that word integrity is actually comes from a Latin word that just means whole. It just means complete. And whole. And if you don't have integrity, it means you're not whole. And this is why Holy Joe is Holy Joe. Because holiness makes us whole. Can we be honest this morning? Perhaps there are some of us, some of you watching, and some of us in the room, who need to take this same posture as Isaiah to say, I'm undone. I'm not living a holy or whole life. Perhaps our lives are somewhat compartmentalized. We have our Sunday box that we like to open and show to people. Oh yeah, I was serving on Sunday. I served in the cafe. I went to church and I wore my mask. I did all the right things. Um, and then we, on Wednesday I went out to help the homeless. And this, that's in this box. But then we've got my hanging out with my mates at work box, which maybe is not quite so good. Or maybe I've got my watching kind of less than helpful things on Netflix, which is not so good. Or maybe I've got my internet browsing history box that is not so good that I don't like showing people. Maybe we look at our bad boxes, these boxes that we don't like to, to show people, and we think, we think, actually, I've got to hide that. Or even worse, we compare these boxes to other people's boxes, and we think, actually, my box isn't as bad as that person's box. I'm not pointing at you, Andy, by the way. Um, my box is not as bad as their box. So I'm all right. I'm, I'm a bit more holy than they are. And we live this compartmentalized life. And if I know anything about a holy life, then it's this. A holy life is a unified life. It's not a compartmentalized life. It's not a life spread around different boxes, but it's a life of integrity. This is the life we were created for, a whole life. Life. And, the, and the great news is, 
This is not something we have to achieve in our own strength. Dare I say it, it's not something that we actually can achieve in our own strength. If we want to live a whole life, we can't do it by ourselves. So what we do is we come with a posture of humility and repentance and we discover grace, ready to lift us up, ready to make us whole again, to reintegrate us. James, the brother of Jesus, he said this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what happened with Isaiah. So if we carry on in that passage from verse 6, he said this, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In other words, your sin is paid for. And I love this picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a foreshadowing of the salvation that Jesus is going to bring. The salvation that Jesus offered us when he took all our sins, he took all our um, disintegration, all our, all our undoneness, and he bore it on himself. That's what we just remembered through communion, that we might be declared righteous and holy before him. And the truth is, I think, we either come before God, come before his holiness with humility and repentance. We either say, woe is me, I am undone, and then allow him to make us whole. Or we become filled with pride over the minuscule amount of holiness that we achieve for ourselves. And in that case, his response to us, like he said to the Pharisees and to the religious teachers, he said, woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, hypocrites. Those were Jesus' words to those who came with a prideful, with a holier-than-thou attitude, those who thought they had it made, those who thought, I don't need any help to be holy, I'm doing all the right things. He would say, woe to you, hypocrites. Because a hypocrite actually is just somebody without integrity. It's an actor. It's somebody wearing a mask. It's somebody with different compartments. It's somebody who lives the right life on this one day in front of people, but on another day... He makes the wrong choices. Woe to you, hypocrites. So we either choose to say, woe is me, and receive grace, or God says to us, woe to you, and we get our sins judged by an awesome and holy God. Holy Joe is not religious. Holy Joe doesn't live a disintegrated life. Holy Joe isn't holier than the now. He doesn't live that kind of life. Holy Joe, Joe just sees himself in the light of God's holiness and he accepts the grace and mercy that's offered and he gets to live in freedom because of it as a light to the world carrying that message of grace to the people he comes into contact with. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go. So Isaiah was now in this moment beginning his journey as arguably the most effective prophet in history. He's often called the prince of the prophets and the major prophet in the major prophets. He's the guy who who foretold of the coming of Jesus. And in this moment, this is the start of that journey for him. So like Isaiah... We need to get a revelation of of God's holiness, of God's posture towards us, his grace and his mercy. We then come in a posture of repentance and humility and we accept 
the grace and we receive the forgiveness for our sins. And then we get to make a choice to walk in holiness, in wholeness, being different to the world around us, shining our light in our workplaces, in our homes, in our classrooms. Holiness calls us to not put our light under a bucket. I remember as a child, the church I was in often did open air uh, services on a Saturday morning. And, you know, the church would come and they'd set up a soapbox in the town centre. It was on market day. And we'd have a group of musicians, ladies playing the guitar. And uh, we'd have people doing dramas and other things going on there. And I would just try and blend into the background and go, no, that's not my dad standing on the soapbox shouting. And that's not my mum playing the guitar, really. Um, uh, Because my mates would all be in the town and, and there would be lots of people. And then, of course, there were the special occasions where my mum would encourage me to bring my cornet, to play along. You can't blend in with a cornet. You can't blend in playing Shine, Jesus, Shine on a cornet. It's just out there. And so I'd be there with my cornet in my mouth, quietly dying inside as my mates were watching. And I'd spend a lot of my childhood trying to keep my school friends away from my church life, to my shame, to my shame. And I came to a point where I had to fall down at the mercy of God and repent and say, God, woe is me, I am undone. I lack integrity. And then allow his grace to fall on me and allow him to rebuild me. Don't wait to become a holy Joe. Don't put this decision off to some time in the future. Oh, yeah, I'll get it right later on. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can make a difference. You can change. You can say, you can come before God with that right posture of repentance and humility. There's a, um, (laughs) I know I've mentioned him before, Don Francisco. Uh, My dad used to play Don Francisco tape. Don Francisco is a Christian country and Western folk singer, songwriter. And and we grew up listening to these tapes. And one of the songs that Don Francisco sung was called Holiness. And the chorus went something like this. Holiness, holiness, it's the only life that the Lord can bless. Holiness, holiness, it's the Lord's command, not the Lord's request. Holiness, holiness. Holiness, it's a life apart from the world's excess. Holiness, holiness, it's to hear the Lord and to answer yes. To answer yes. Now, holiness won't earn you salvation. That way, again, lies pride. Holiness doesn't make us better than somebody else. That way lies a kind of religious spirit in you. Holiness doesn't make us less needful of God's grace and forgiveness. What holiness does do, it removes the curtain to God's presence in our daily lives. The writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness reveals God's presence. If you want to see God, if you want to see him working in your life, if you want to experience his presence with you, you need to walk in holiness. Not in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's God's grace working through you that will enable you and equip you to make those right choices. Trying to achieve your holiness 
outside of the support and the purposes of the Holy Spirit in you is like trying to play Alpine Echoes on the cornet without a piano. Without the piano. Okay, you won't be able to do it. You'll stand there and you'll maybe able to blow some notes, but it won't sound good. There's going to be gaps. You'll ultimately fail. Your effort is going to sound like Last week, uh, Phil's verse for the week was taken from Titus, Titus 2. And it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us, it equips us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, self-controlled, upright and godly, to live holy, whole lives in this present age. Just to finish, I want to give you I want to give you just three quick strategies because it's not easy. It's not, you know, well, well, yes, I want to live a holy life. I want to come before God in repentance, but how can I do that? Can I say, write this down if you've got a pen and paper there. Pray more. Pray more. Get a revelation of who God is by praying more, by building your relationship with him. Pray more. Pray daily. Pray without ceasing. The second thing you should do is trust more. Trust more. We've just been singing about God's faithfulness. And in the Bible, it exhorts us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And holiness, it's, yes, it's, it's a momentary thing. God gives us his holiness, but it's also a a destination thing where we're looking forward to becoming more holy but it's also a journey thing it's also a path thing in the middle we're walking in holiness and if you need to know how to do that you need to trust God with your life more and the last thing you need to love more pray more trust more love more in everything you say and do ask what does love require of you in every situation, in every time you face a decision, what should I do in this moment? You ask yourself, what's the loving thing to do here? When you're in an argument with your wife or your husband and you just want to, you feel like, actually, this is not my fault. What's the most loving thing? When your kids have let you down and you feel like, oh, they've done this to me again. What's the most loving thing you can do? When there's these temptations before you, to go down the wrong path on the internet or with your mates or, or watching stuff that you shouldn't watch. You say, what's the most loving thing I should do in this moment? Pray more, trust more, and love more. And accept the grace and mercy of God and that holiness will come shining through in you. I'm done, we're going to pray um, just now. And there's two things I'd like to pray for this morning. Firstly, I'd like to pray for you if, you if you're somebody who maybe has lived a compartmentalized life, if you know you're, you've got these different boxes in your life and you want to change, we're going to pray together because God wants to change that. He wants to make you whole. He wants to give you integrity this morning. So we're going to pray together. We're going to say a sorry prayer and we're going to accept his grace and we're going to commit 
to walking a better path. But also in this moment, if you haven't yet made that decision to trust Jesus with all your heart, to say thank you to him for the forgiveness of your sins, I would like to give you an opportunity to do that too. So let's all close our eyes just now and pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that it brings and the blessing that it brings. And we know how you want us to be whole, God, and we know that your holiness is the way forward. Father, I want to say sorry for all the times where I've made those decisions and hidden them and and created these boxes where my life has become compartmentalized and I haven't lived whole. God, I'm sorry. And I want to say thank you for the forgiveness of my sins for that. And I also want to say, Lord, I commit to walking a path, trusting in you, loving more, praying for, leaning, praying, praying more, leaning more into you, God, and living holy lives. If you're somebody who wants to commit your life to Jesus this morning, then just repeat these words after me. Lord God, I'm sorry for my life of sin. I'm sorry that I haven't walked your way. And right now, I accept your forgiveness. I thank you for all you did on the cross, taking my sins on yourself. And I want to say in this moment, I want to walk with you for the rest of my life and become holy. In your name I pray. Amen.